you can go see every single transaction that ever happened with, uh, with Bitcoin. It's there for anyone to see. And if you don't have cash available, it's a missed opportunity. On average, it was like 800 quid a month on food. Mm. Family four. And mm. I was just like, my, what are you doing? The personal expenses as well, I think you should look at, mm. not just business, just so that you can survive. If you trade on the main exchanges, HMRC have access to all that. I'm Steve, I'm the Digital Director at Spectrum Group. Our mission in life is to unlock the potential of your people. And we do that through three things, hardware, software, and expertise. Welcome to the podcast. Today, I've been joined by the usual Neil Wells, sadly without my other colleague, John Fanoon, sad face. However, we are joined by a very special guest, Brad Walker, who's the MD of Adaptive Accountancy based in East Yorkshire. Brad is really passionate and really knowledgeable about all things business, all things accountancy, but also all things cryptocurrency. So we've been talking about the future of crypto, the future of blockchain, and also NFTs, the impact on all businesses across multiple different sectors. So please like, share, follow, subscribe. And with all that said, welcome to Tomorrow's Workplace today. Welcome, Brad. Um, so yeah, do you want to just give us a quick introduction, who you are, what you do, a bit about your, your company as well? Yeah, so Brad, I'm 30, uh, the owner of Adaptive Accountancy Limited. Okay. We've been going since, as a company since 2017, but I've been doing accountancy since I was 19, I believe. Okay. Um, yes, yeah, so I, worked, I worked in practice to start with, um, a small firm in Goole. I moved on to a bigger firm in York. Got exposed to a few different things there. Moved to the public sector in NHS um, as a management accountant. And then I was at the Press Association as a finance business partner um, for their subsidiary Global Links and their IT department. So okay. from there, left to set up on my own. Uh, I was always building for banker clients. And then, um, yeah, that's where I am now. Just keep keep growing it, really. Um, cool. Now there's a team of three. And we're uh, just down the road in Newport. Good stuff. So... I guess you're in a fortunate position like us where you're out all day, every day speaking to businesses and understanding what's going on. So one of the questions I always ask these guys is just what's what's the trends, what you're hearing from people in the market minute, what's happening in businesses that you're speaking to? Yeah, um, so I think a couple of trends that I'm hearing a lot from from my clients are cost of living, which it's not, not surprising. Yeah. Um, a lot of them are... They're reluctant to increase prices, um, but know that they kind of got to do it. Um, there's some that are on on the breadline now, like you know, hand to mouth type stuff. Um, so with some of them, they've asked for like consulting stuff around cash flow forecasting, budgeting, uh, and a lot of it really is just looking at where the, where the cash is is really going and um, and understand the difference between profit and cash flow. Sometimes, mm. really profitable businesses not not cash flowing well or you know late payers can kill a kill a business especially in we've got clients in construction yeah. and the amount of times i've said to someone and said you know they're, they're, they're doing a bigger bigger project after a bigger project after a bigger project and i said you are literally just your first bad payer away from bankruptcy mm. right it's great to take the big projects but you've got to make sure you've got some capital behind you to to fund your day-to-day um so there's been, there's been a few of those types of conversations really so we talked about the economy before we got going. So yeah. we think there's potentially dark times on the horizon for the economy. Uh, are businesses that you're speaking to aware of that? Are they thinking, I need to prepare my business, I need to tighten my belt, get my cash flow in order, or not? I think that most businesses think things are just going to be all right. Really? To be honest. I think, yeah, I think I think some of them have got head, heads in sand and just think, well, I'll probably be all right. Mm. Um I think the ones that were half struggling already, they've reached out. But I think there's a lot of people that are just thinking, well, anything that bad, it probably won't happen to me. Mm. I think that's that's sort of the the, the gist I've had from from conversations. Do you have a, do you have a? <clears throat> I know you mentioned construction. Do you have a, a theme or a, a target market area that you specialize in, or are you what type of businesses? I guess. Yeah. So. Um, a lot of startups, yeah. Okay. So a lot of startups. So that gives us a breadth of industries. But in terms of areas that we sort of have more clients, I would say you know, we've got quite a few in construction. We've got a lot that uh, are in property. We've got a lot that are in crypto and trading and things like mm. that. Interesting. Yeah, they're sort of the three 
little bit more. I'll come on to crypto in a second because I think that's a really interesting area. But while we're on the cash subject, I saw a LinkedIn post from you not long ago around, let me get this right, you were comparing cash to a tube of toothpaste <laughs> and how businesses need to do that. So do you want to just explain that analogy a little bit? And what, yeah, what yeah. I can't take credit for it. I think it was in, um, I can't remember the book. I think it might have been Atomic Habits maybe or something like that. But um, yeah, so it's when you when you go full tube of toothpaste, you know, you're slathering it on like there's no tomorrow. And yeah. you don't really care if something goes down the side. Do you? You're not bothered. You've got loads of it. Yeah. And then when it gets to you, you know, you're rolling it up and you're trying to get that tiny bit out. All of a sudden, like a tiny bit seems to go for a long way, doesn't it? And it's similar, I think, with with your cash. When you've got loads of it, you are frivolous with it because if you lost that, it doesn't really matter. Mm. When it gets to you've got no cash, all of a sudden everything is then a, a decision of, well, should I buy this? So when you're making an hundred pound purchase, then you might start questioning that. Whereas before you might have been like, well, yeah, you know, it might add some value, so I'll, I'll get that because it's not really got the same uh, value mm. um, as when it's at the end. But what you what we sh- should do in business really is look at it as though it's nearly empty all the time, make sure yeah. that we're making the right decisions with our money always. So then we're, we're real discipline for that. Like you say, again, you look at some really successful people and they, from a startup perspective, that they work and say really blinkered and, and I'm working as if I'm broke. It doesn't matter how much cash in the bank, how much cash flow is coming in. I need to have the mindset of that I'm going broke all the time to just keep it really frivolous and just work out the minimum living costs that they needed. And then, yeah. Because otherwise, like you say, as soon as you get a big order in or a big contract, you think, brilliant, I'm on off on holiday, I'll buy that car mm. or whatever. And then all of a sudden, like you say, you get a bad payer. You're like, whoa, yeah. hang on. Mm. <laughs> this is it. I think the key to it is budgeting. I think if you, you have a budget, you set yourself, a, a, you know, marketing's a big one that you could, you know, you can spend endless in, in marketing. If you set yourself a budget, what you want to spend it with, and then you break that down, okay, and say, okay, I've got this much budget. Where do I want to allocate it? So then at least it can't run away with itself. Mm-hmm. Or if you've got something that comes on your desk, you think, actually, this would be a great opportunity for us. You can then assess it on that case-by-case basis. Sometimes it can be difficult, though, especially for startups, because sometimes they're slow burners, and other times they go through the roof. Mm. And so the budgets that you prepare might not be applicable anymore. But I think the key to that today with technology is you should your account should be like in real time. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the yeah. key. You know, the problem with accounts is a lot of time, traditionally, you're retrospective, aren't you? So you look at the previous 12 months, and you have nine months from the year end to do your accounts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you're someone who's right near that deadline, which some people work to deadlines, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> so yeah. that's not a good that's not a yeah. good sign. You know, you, you're going to be you're going to be what 21 months out of date before yeah. you get the information to make a decision. And let's say you've got you had a lot of capital to start with. That capital could have whittled away, or maybe you've committed money that you've actually realised you won't be the profitability to to fund, mm. but you didn't have the information at your hand to do it now. So to make that decision properly. Now you'd have it, it's like, well, damage is done. Mm. So I think that's one of the keys. I think people overlook the finance department in terms of what information it can give you. And I think that's a good point because if you think historically, accountants used to, especially when my dad had businesses and things like that, it was like, oh, I'll do my accounts at the end of the year type thing as long as I've got enough money to yeah. sort of pay the bills and things like that. And you're right, it's, it's an accountant was seen as, well, I'll just give them the shoebox of receipts and it'll, yeah. it'll sort out my tax return and all that type of stuff. And and you're right, people do work to those deadlines and you hear it on the radio, people, oh yeah, you get your uh, get your accounts in by the end of January or whatever. Yeah. And how have you structured it to, to shift in terms of your service? So you, you're offering people, helping people with the cash flow forecasting and budgeting and things like that. Have, yeah. you tried to, have you tried to, especially with your startups, have you tried to help them with that money mindset, that sort of, because you've said there with systems, is that something you offer as a service? You try and help them get real time? Yeah, I, I try and, well, I have a lot of conversations with clients. So I think one of the differences for us with, compared to like a traditional one is I, I talk to them a bit like, like I'm talking here, really, like just talk to my mates, really. And uh, hopefully that lets them be approachable. Mm. And they'll, they'll speak to me about things. So I'll, I'll talk to them a lot about the, the benefits of having these things. And in proposals, we'll go through... Like, do you want, um, how, how often does you want everything reconciled? You know, to give them the option, to let them know it's available. Um, but it can be difficult for a startup who is, they're sensitive to price, um, understanding the value that it gives them. Mm. Um, so that's obviously, that's tough for them. And I can, I can understand that because if you don't have a lot of money to start with, if you want to, you're shelling out quite a bit on 
any finance function. It's not bringing in the cash. It gives them the information, but I think in the mind they think, well, there's not a lot of information right now. I've only just got going. I've only just mm -hmm. set up the company. Um, and there comes a time when it is needed. But I think the, the key to it is having regular check-ins. So if you've got a regular, say, three-month check-in, we client, you know, as a just as a part of the service, as a as the basic, mm. then at least you get an update from them to say, look, you know, what what how's things going? Have you have any troubles? Because I think these days accounts are they're more like they're more like your business partner, really. Someone to talk to. Um and the other thing is, I'm a small business owner myself. So the issues they're having, mm. you know, I've had or I'm working through or I've overcome, um, or I've got them to come if they're bigger than I am. So but working with them obviously gives me this a lot of um like points that I can bring to them because I've speak to so many mm. and I see it often. And you see what works, you see which businesses go out of uh, out of business, and you can sort of understand a lot of time well why that happened, you know. And a lot of it is planning, you know, mm. a lot of it is they didn't foresee something that if they actually sat back, they would have they would have realized this it was gonna be inevitable, if not then, like the bad pay with the construction. If you sit back and you think, well, if someone doesn't pay me what happens, they they know that well, I can't pay the lads, um, then they're not going to work for me. Mm. And then before you know I've got nothing. That will take a genius to know. It's just sometimes bringing it to them. But you you see it from working with different businesses. You have that exposure, don't you? And that's a very fortunate yeah. position to be in. If you're just working that one business, you, you've only really got your line of sight. Yeah, and I can think of it more objective, I think, yeah, is the other thing. True. Like, you know, yeah. if someone works, let's say a construction company is working for one major clients say and they're always getting the work from them let's say they're getting eight percent of the work from them mm. they go oh james will always pay me you know always pays me on time that, that's fine but we we don't know james's finances we don't know what other obligations he's got yeah, and it might be good yeah. now but you know when we talk about the economy mm. coming might be might be coming bad times will change and it takes one domino to fall doesn't it and particularly in construction where it's Contractor into subby into subby into subby. Yeah, one the material cost at the moment is yeah, yeah. fluctuated. You might order it at one price, it comes in at a different price, and it's like, hang on, <laughs> yeah, I ain't factored that. In. Well, that's a really good point because then you talk about process there because then you think, well, okay, if he was like a one-man band who goes and 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 quotes a job, and generally someone accepts it, um, you know, relatively quickly, so the the price materials won't change, right? But let's say you go and quote a bigger job, then I think you need to change your process to say that this quote is only um, there for yeah. I don't know two weeks or whatever it is you decide. Based on market, yeah, market well, rates, yeah, because, yeah, yeah, because of market rates and the the, the price of materials fluctuating, you've got to build that into your your sales pitch base. Say, look, I can only hold this price for this point in time, mm. and in, in that point in time, we could come quote. It might be less, mm. but it might be more. And the way the trend's going, it's going to be more. Mm. Most of the time, you don't often see prices come down. Here. They tend to even when they've risen, then they yeah. hold. Yeah, they hold until the next. Yeah, you know that's. For some yeah. reason it tends to happen. So, so, so with inflation the way it is, then what, what are you advising? I know it's difficult. It's rock and hard places, isn't it? But what what's your expectation in terms of inflation moving forward, and what are you advising your clients to do around it? Um, so one one thing I said they could do um, is is take your last month's data, look at all your recurring costs, look at which ones are not necessary, ones that you can just cancel, mm. ones that. Um, you think you could provide there's a substitute for where you wouldn't lose value to the customer and then rebase your cost so don't even look at your sales of that rebase your cost extrapolate out to 12 months see mm. what your annual is then look at your sales figures and see does that look like you know a good business or not if it's looking like you're in trouble you, you got to increase your prices to, you know in line with um in line with the cost increase you know at least you probably to you probably want to increase it a little bit more because your supplies will keep increasing the prices if you're looking at today's. So next mm. next week, you know, somebody else might have written to you and said your price is going up. And you can't keep going to your customers every month mm. and say, well, I've got this other supplier now who's increased his price, so I need to increase another half percent. You can't do that, can you? So you've got to have, yeah. it's like a stepped increase, really. So I've been, yeah, talking about one month, depending on the type of business, obviously, if it's more seasonal or um, it fluctuates quite a bit, I'd maybe say look at three. Um but yeah, you just you just trimming trimming the yeah, trimming the fat, aren't you? Mm. Um and and just reevaluating where you can save where you can save money. Create a lean business now, I suppose. In yeah. preparation for what potentially is to come. Yeah, I had one I had one client. Um personal income personal expenses as well, I think you should look at, mm. not just business, just so that you can survive mm. on so if times are hard, you can take less from the business and it's okay, you will get by. Yeah, because I had one client who was earning good money, couldn't understand where our money was going. 
So obviously I reconciled all the personal accounts and on average it was like 800 quid a month on food, mm. family four. And I was mm. just like, my, what are you doing? Like, this is just, I know it's 20, 30 quid to go, but they all add up. Mm. You know, once you put it in black and white, it was like, it was like a, my mind was blown. Mm. And when I was doing it, I was thinking, my word, I'd love to eat this much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're one of them TV yeah. programmes yeah. where you, where you get yeah, seen that one. Yeah, yeah. It, it felt like that. So when, yeah. I, when she came in, I was like, oh my, I've yeah. got, I know where all your money's going. This is Matt. Matt is a finance director, and this is Matt's team. Day after day, they trudge through endless stacks of paperwork, like mindless zombies. But luckily for Matt and his team, things are about to get a lot better. Since Spectro has digitized their documents, there's no need for physical copies and duplicates to clutter up the office. And with a fleet of Spectrobots to take care of the mundane, Matt's team have changed the game. Don't waste the potential they've got. Get them a robot with Spectrum. Tomorrow's workplace today. One of the things that we talk to clients a lot about is when, when they're buying software or services off us, they can lay out the, the initial capital or they can do it over a X number of years and on, a, on OPEX. Yeah. So do you have a view on that then in terms of the importance of cash and do you encourage clients to pay up front in capital or spread it over on, on an OPEX or what's your view? I think my view is opportunity cost on that. I think, okay, if you're going to give that cash up, one, did you have the surplus cash? Mm. You know, how important is it? How, how many months worth of expenses do you have in your bank? Yeah. You know, and I think you should have at least three, if not six, depending on the business. But um, what could what would you have done with that money otherwise? Mm. Is there any discount for paying, uh, you know, paying up front? Or would the cost be the same? I think generally for big purchases, I think lease is my, my answer. For bigger purchases, lease, keep the cash. Yeah. I think that sometimes opportunities come around Maybe it is to acquire another business, something like that. Mm. And if you don't have cash available, it's a missed opportunity. Mm. Um, so from my personal perspective, I think you're better off Keep with more cash. cash and, you, and probably more so now because yeah. times are going to be hard. So Makes or could sense. be. So, you, you know, you need you need that extra capital maybe. Mm. Um, that would be my, my thoughts there. All right. I want to talk about crypto because I'll be honest, it's, it's, it's an area I'm sort of aware of and know yeah. a little bit about but not a lot. And I know it's an area of personal interest to you. And yeah, yeah. from a business perspective, you, you look after people that trade crypto as well. So yeah. I guess, talk to me about the market at the minute, your view of the market, because obviously my knowledge of it is that it, it was very high. Yeah. It's dropped a lot over recent months. Yeah. What, what's your kind of view of the market at the minute? Yeah, so I th like we were saying before, weren't we? So the market cap at the minute of crypto is, a, is about a billion. Mm. Um, and, it, and it was three. So it's dropped. Two thirds. Um, now, I think you firstly you've got to compare that to stocks. Um, now, I don't have no numbers on that, but I know that stock prices from following them have dropped. So, mm. a reference point would be Tesla was twelve hundred dollars a share. It's like trading at seven. I'm just short of seven hundred now. So that's you know almost half there. Yeah. So it's not actually that much dissimilar to the stocks. So there's that. There has been some horror stories recently of a like a what's classed as a stable coin. So a stable coin is one that it's a cryptocurrency, but you just peg it to a, a fiat currency like the dollar. So they basically one of their coin equals one dollar, mm. and a lot of people hold their crypto in that um, because it's stable. It's it's not volatile. But one of them went bust. Mm. Um, I remember reading, yeah, yeah. Now I don't know the technicalities. Of, I tried reading, uh, trying to understand a, a technical article about that, but it's something to do with the algorithms that that forced it. But that's obviously there's a lot of lack of confidence going on at the minute in in crypto, but. Mm. I feel like it's it's same with stocks. When you talk about, <clears throat> uh, call it like dollar cost averaging. You know, when people buy into like an ETF fund, they they're putting in like say a couple hundred pound a month, and they do it for all their life. And they buy when the price is high, and they buy when the cost is low. And overall, stock market rises based on historical data. Now could be a good time to buy in terms of Bitcoin. Mm. Do your own due diligence. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Now could be a good time to buy. So. Yeah. I think you've got to look, why is Bitcoin as a currency better than your your pounds and stuff? So I would say the three main things that make it make it great 
uh, it's transparent. There's a, a public blockchain ledger. You can go see every single transaction that ever happened with uh, with Bitcoin. It's there for anyone to see. Um, the fact that it's decentralized, no one's in control of it. So mm. with our pounds, government can print loads of money, devalues our pound. We can't do anything about that. We're just we're powerless. Um, whereas in Bitcoin, it's deflationary. There's only 21 million Bitcoins. So they can never be in circulation. It's finite. So by nature, should be deflationary. So help me understand that then. So 21 million Bitcoin, you can mine Bitcoin. Is that right? Yes, you can mine it. So is that will increase the 21 million or is you have to mine out the 21 million? Yeah, you have to mine out. I think I I think it's around 20 million, in, in, okay. oh, maybe 19.6, I think. I'm sure I read that number, but don't quote okay. me on it. But yeah, basically, the mining is, is all part of the securing, securing the network, basically. The miners are basically crunching algorithms that verify transactions. And then once it's verified, it goes onto the blockchain. And their reward is small transaction fee plus a tiny bit of Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. And the amount of Bitcoin they receive uh, is a certain value. And once, um, and I can't remember how much it is now, but once it gets to a certain amount of Bitcoins being mined in total, the amount they receive for securing that transaction, verifying it, then gets halved. So they're like halving points. Okay. So that's kind of how it works. So that could be 21 million. I want to say I want to say that's been running every four years, something like that. Something like that. I think, I think it might it be a little bit more. 2020 was the last time, and and it did see a bit of a spike might, after yeah. that. Yeah, they did it. In tw I was saying earlier. So tw 2007, it did it. Or 2008, when we just come out of the basically the big profit crash, mm. um, and and then at that point, Bitcoin tenfolded, and I know it did similar 2016. So it's um, that that is interesting because in 2016. Life was good in terms of economies, so we've mm. seen it in a, a time when our economy is doing poorly and when it's doing well, reacts in similar ways. So that's, I think, quite a good sign. Mm. Since then, we haven't had a good time of things really in terms of, of price. But I would think in the long term, it's good because of, like I say, it's decentralised, no one's got control of it, it's transparent, so you don't need to rely on any trust the trust is there you can go see it mm. and the other one is that it can't be it's a uh, words like immutable so you you can't change it the transaction can't be changed can't be reversed if i like you pay something on a credit card you ring your bank up and you say this won't me i'm not in venezuela and they go mm. all right then we'll reverse <laughs> that but they can do that right which is great when you're getting scammed yeah. but what happens like if um here's an example of something that happened in real life so one of my clients he just contracts in holland he so obviously he's in Holland, bank's like, this is odd. I can't, I'll, I'll, block, I'll freeze his account, you know, to prove who he is. The problem is, all his money's going to his business account, they need mm. to transfer into his personal, which you can't do, so now he no. can't pay his mortgage. So they have so much power. You know, the authorities have a lot of power over it. And also the other thing, it probably miffs people off, is that the bank is somewhere that just stores your money and they use it, you know, they're a middleman basically, just somewhere mm. to store it while they use it to make, make themselves rich and give you a, a pittance for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, fun. The challenge I always have around um, Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies, if you, I'm a big fan of like Warren Buffett in terms of investment. And he'll say, you've got a million quid. <laughs> yeah, why, why invest it in Bitcoin? Because what, what's it going to do? You're not going to get a return on that. Why not invest it in Coca-Cola or a farm where you're going to get a return on that investment? So what's what's your response to that? that? Because like I said, I, I think you look at those three things and and you, you, you take the, the practical uses of it. So, uh, you know, Imagine if your government's money was able to, it was all in Bitcoin, so you could see the transactional data, you know exactly where it's going. Mm. I would say that if you ask people now, where I'd say the trust in the, our government is pretty low at the minute, yeah. you know, how many backhanders do we think's happened in our mm. government? Any government, anyway, not just this one, but any, mm -hmm. you know, I feel it's very telling when uh, Rishi Sunak's wife's paid loads of tax that legally didn't have to be paid for him to keep his. 100 grand a year job mm. you know that that for me speaks a lot of volumes <laughs> as to the power and the of his job so i think that having this transparency is an amazingly mm. good thing you know i think it could provide accountability and i don't have to trust that you know things are going where they they should be going instead it it's there in black and white and we don't have to rely on like freedom of information acts we can anybody who is interested could go and view it themselves so you think that the transparency of it, the usage of it will in return create demand, which will in return drive the price of cryptocurrencies? Up? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, when Russia invaded Ukraine, mm. 
Bitcoin went really high, like mm. com compared, uh, not compared to all time highs, but it rose, rose, rose a lot. And a lot of the thoughts behind that was a lot of the Russians' assets were being seized. Yeah, I was going to so say that. So a lot that, of yeah. this, I mean, it's hard to know, but a lot all of the, the speculation is cloud it all into cryptos that mm. they couldn't couldn't trace. Yeah. I mean, there is there is tracing in 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 the. Uh, in crypto, so like if you trade on the main exchanges, HMRC have access to all that. So, right. um, and so they know exactly who owns what, and then all the transactions. Um, and I think because yeah, it was a little bit like the Wild West before, but like yeah. you say now, the fact that people are employing your services to to actually do yeah. a proper tax assessment and and yeah, yeah, people are realizing. Well, HMRC sent out HMRC have sent out letters now to anybody they believe have made gains in crypto mm. to say. You know, get your affairs up to date, basically. And, and what they're paying, they're paying income tax on those gains. So it would depend. <laughs> the okay. account now. So it depends <laughs> if it's revenue or capital in nature. So okay. there's lots of different things in crypto. Um, if you're just buying, say, Bitcoin, and then you sell it, and you let's say trading it, you know, a couple of times a month or something like that, maybe a few times a week even, mm. that would be considered an investment. You've no sort of reliable return or anything like that. You've no idea. If you was to there's something called staking. You've heard of staking, but you can you can buy a crypto and you say, I will buy it and I will I will hold it, I will sell this crypto for three months. Mm. They will give you a return of that. And and the returns can be good, like you know, 10 percent plus on these. So that's quite attractive compared to your bank mm, uh, percentage. Yeah. But you then at whims of the markets in terms of capital increases or decreases. However, you've got to decrease by at least 10%, wouldn't you? Mm. Um yeah. To make a loss. However, if you did that now, last few months, you'd still be probably losing. Yeah. Um, you know, the longer you keep it in, same with banks for your ISIS, the longer you keep it in, the higher the percentage they'll give you. Um so there's lots of going on there. And, and that that there would be income tax because you know exactly how much you're gonna get. It's it's revenue in nature, basically. Mm. You know, okay. anything that screams that you're getting paid it for a service is income. So you might, a lot of clients I've seen now, actually, if they work overseas in tech projects, a lot of them get paid in crypto. Interesting. Yeah, I've real? got quite a few clients who get paid in crypto. Oh, wow. And What's then, the the coin, Bitcoin or they Ethereum? Get, or? They, they tend to get paid in USDC. So it's right. a stable coin pegged to the dollar and that's what we get paid in. And, and most of the time they do transfer it into their own, you know, not normal Because people are losing confidence with the dollar as well because they're printed, I think it was something like I want to say three, three quarters of all of the dollars that's mm. ever been printed has been printed in the last two or three years, and it's mm. just wow. unbelievable. And again, you you talked to her before in terms of inflation and debt and all this type of stuff, and the fact that when they took the dollar off the gold standard, it's now what is it? It's just a piece of paper that mm. looks like an IOU more than anything. They yeah. can't they yeah. can't go to the bank and say, right, give me give me that amount of gold because <laughs> yeah. it doesn't exist anymore in that regard. It's not how it is. So it's. And I did read something about, in terms of energy, because the world more or less trades in dollars. Um, I think the first deal between the Saudis and China directly was done, and they didn't use the dollar as the exchange value. So it was oh, wow. it was like, oh, hang on, if that's going to happen. So it's about the confidence as well. I think with crypto, there's a lot, people are talking about it. It's mm -hmm. got a lot of... Publicity, a bit more, a bit more. Edu I think governments and institutions they can't ignore it anymore. They're a bit like, well, what are we going to do about it? It's got to such a size, yeah. and yeah, some of making big plays into it. And and if they're looking at a diverse portfolio, they're thinking, well, yeah, we're going to put a chunk of money in. And um, but you see these people that are obviously managing billions, trillions, if not these big institutions. It's like a lot of people are not well. They are educated, sort of guessing. As soon as they enter the market, the price is going to go because it is a finite sort of thing. But um, yeah, it's yeah. With you can't you can't time the market. If you try and time the market, it's not yeah. going to happen. But it's 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 kind of one of those things. But I think with the PR and the and the, the the marketing around it, people are talking about it. But you touched on the the technology that backs it, the blockchain. Yeah. And I've looked at it from our perspective in terms of if you just look at it from an information point of view. There's no reason why documents can't be stored. If you've got documents that 
the information sensitive or or just needs to be authenticated and that audit trail needs to be yeah. there because that's one of the benefits of our, our, our system. It's got that audit trail, but there's no reason why you couldn't put a document or, and again, you mentioned the sort of NFTs and stuff like that, but touch on that. Again, you, you spoke before yeah. we, uh, we jumped on the, on the podcast. Well, it's good that you mentioned the, the document storage system because they are looking at cloud storage on blockchain. Right. So that's, that's a good thing. Um, but yeah, NFT, so an NFT is non-fungible token, so a non-fundable token is something that is it's uniquely different. Yeah. Fundable token, like like your pounds, my mm. pound is the same as your pound, but NFT is unique. So that that opens up a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of avenues for a lot of different industries. Um, I mentioned a few before we, we came yeah, on. Yeah. So I mentioned about if you got a fancy watch like a Rolex and you was wanting to sell that, if you was going to buy Rolex on the secondhand market. Um, you kind of have to go through a third party who needs to verify it's authentic because without them, you could get scammed quite easily for a lot of money. Now, if you had an NFT that proved your ownership, you know, in your in your wallet, uh, your crypto wallet, hmm. you could prove that you you own that. And as soon as the transaction occurs, it's transferred over, so you can prove ownership. Um, and one thing, one that's one great way in terms of luxury good. Another luxury goods that I think would revolutionized, and we didn't talk about this before actually, is in the fashion industry. So in the fashion industry, it's known for the throwaway culture, you know, it comes into season and then it's discarded and it's massive waste, it's mm. reported well to the media. So you imagine like the Gucci's, they, and actually I'll talk about cars afterwards as well. So they, uh, <laughs> I'm just getting another thought in my head. Um, so now it's gonna incentivize people to, um, one proves authenticity, so you could when you sell it on, you know you're getting the right thing. It's not a fake. But two, there you can build into, so you can have smart contracts in in cryptocurrencies. So if I take it back a little bit further, just so you understand this, so there's Ethereum, which is a different type of cryptocurrency. Now that, um, well, actually Ether is the currency, but Ethereum's the the platform, and you can build applications on this platform, and in these. On this platform, you in the applications, you can build in smart contracts. So if X happens, then Y automatically triggered. That's really, really important because when when that happens, what you can do is you can build into that contract that maybe the original owner of that gets a little bit of the transaction fee. Mm -hmm. And that's common, happens, really good for the artists, you know, yeah, artist yeah. industry. Because if you think, let's say we're an artist, we've made an absolute masterpiece, hmm. you know, let's say we're Da Vinci, right? And he's in today's world, and he's flogged his painting once. I bet the first time he sold his painting, one hundred million that mm. it's worth today, it'd be for God, you know, a few hundred quid or whatever. And then he's he's it's renowned as a an absolute masterpiece, and now it's worth hundreds of millions. And all the transactions that happen after that, he never got anything for it, mm. never got nothing. So he's not really gained much. Every all the investors in between them made loads, but now it's opened up a whole new possibility for artists mm. in, in that in all creatives really where they can then continue to earn off their pieces of work and really why shouldn't they you know yeah. that it was their they piece of work yeah. so they so bringing this back down to the fashion industry gucci and all these fashion designers they can now have the authenticity for resale but also they can build in transaction fees that they're going to gain from so you think now, if you're this brand, you're gonna make sure that you're high quality goods because now you're not just building a product that sells the one time, you multiple times could be sold. Mm. Same could happen with cars. You're not gonna have throwaway car culture. You're gonna have, you know, the Volkswagens that are maybe last a bit longer. Mm. Their actual sales value, lifetime sales value is gonna be much higher mm. if they make sure that they build it really well and it will last for a long time because it'll keep getting resold. And every time it gets resold, they get they get yeah, a bit right. back. And so it's it's more revenue for them, so I like it. Really yeah, for environmentalists. I mean, that's an eye opener. You've, you've for me. touched on you've touched on obviously the ones that are building physical products, but I think where it probably will, it's that intellectual property, like you said, with the art. If they're creating mm. something that's a one-off piece of work and it's got IP and it's whether it be a patent, whether it be it could it could affect all sorts of stuff. Again, yeah. engineering, space, anything where you've got to sell on a bit of originality, a bit of sort of ideas, but in our world, again, that whole sort of transactional because we I deal a lot with the the purchase to pay sort of process. Yeah, like you said there, that could completely be revolutionised because again Oops. we're dealing with people that have got 
paper document they're still literally transferring well there's an invoice and there's a delivery note so we've got proof of goods and yeah does that match my order and all this type of stuff all could and be just automated yeah it? yeah mm. and it just makes it a hell of a lot easier and like you say coming back to giving businesses control and and looking at the actual spend it's that whole spend management piece is kind of where i, I sit day to day but it's uh but yeah i see it it being a big because once you've got it digital yeah, it's open. You don't need to wait to submit it once a yeah. year. They can mm. see it live. They can see what you, your yeah. transaction, what you're buying, what how much tax is due and things like that. So You mentioned the legal perspective. Yeah, legal, which again is, is one, one that's very, very paper heavy, as we know. And, and yeah, I feel like that that could all be in, done in the same yeah, way. That your house, is, a, housing, yeah, yeah, your house is an NFT. It proves ownership of the house. Once funds transfer, mm. triggers, triggers the contract, transfers the NFT over, the land registry form is submitted. You know, all those things. I suppose in the same way selling a car, I suppose house builders could have a similar approach, could they? Where they, yeah. they continue to own an element of that house and sell it on over the lifetime of the Yeah, they could probably yeah, they could do something like that. I mean, I'd, I wouldn't be surprised if it gets they're not gonna revolutionise the whole thing mm. like in one go, but I bet in the future new builds will start coming along with them. Mm. You know. Yeah. I just think that the, at the minute the technology's not quite there to make it so accessible mm. yet. It's still to create your wallet and to get sorted, takes a little bit of. It's a bit painful. Bit of, yeah, it's not it's exactly not as straightforward. Just downloading yet. an app and exactly. setting up an account, mate. But yeah. once they start bridging those gaps, I think so that people who are not particularly tech savvy can get involved with it. And it's not like you don't need to know anything. Basically, it's all basically interface is brilliant. I think that's when you'll you'll see a big uptake. Um, yeah, you've opened my eyes a little bit actually to what. Uh, blockchain and NFTs and the impact that they could have actually on industry. For me, it's always been a bit of conceptual. But when you talk like that, you, you can bring it to life of how it could change those industries over the next sort of and I think 10, it'll catch years. fire once you've got the entrepreneurs that can think of ways to commercialize it. And then you bring that yeah. user experience and the adoption and you get them two things together, it'll fly. And like you say, yeah. it only needs a couple of industries to revolutionize stuff. And it's, it's a bit like, I think about electric cars. The irony is we've got a transport museum in Hull that there's, there's an electric car from like 1901 or something. So they had the technology then, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. floaters have been bumming around. But like, really, they made that much money off oil and gas and the combustion engine. Mm. They wanted to keep it, yeah, yeah well, yeah. actually, this is going to generate me more money, commercialise it. So once we find ways of, of commercialising that everybody, governments make money, everybody makes money, then yeah. it'll be like, oh, yeah, that's, that's a great get, idea. I'll, I'll let's, get involved let's, with that. Yeah. Let's write yeah, legislation <laughs> that we'll get behind this. And I think, to be fair, there was talk of, I think there is talk of uh, UK government and other bits coming out with their sort of um, own coins and all this type of stuff. They're all trying to play catch up a little bit, but at yeah. the same time, it's like... Are there any industries that are really leading the way on this? Like The likes of Gucci and Rolex, are they... The, your main are brands understanding are. It and... I think so, yeah. I think a lot of them are, are really considering it. Definitely people like Nike, they're putting in a lot of money in terms of... Yeah, because then it links into the metaverse side of things yeah. as well. I'm and less, and actually, less informed on that. Because, but... again, the bits that I've seen there, especially brands, like you say, they're trying to embed their digital experience with the, the mm. physical experience. And then in that world, as soon as it becomes more um, yeah, virtual reality type of thing, you can, yeah buying you're gonna have billboards the same as where you have it here yeah. so it's again it's how you how you sort of um interact with all that that's interesting but then how does it become unique and how do you trade how do you make money how do you commercialize how do you make money out of it and things like this but again computer games have been doing it for ages with like skins on your guns and stuff in college yeah or whatever it is i would it's, say like you know cryptocurrency you've got kids right so you've got roblox yeah right? <laughs> but they love it don't they yeah, yeah. right and you uh, christmas comes around can i get me some i don't want the book like is it roblox books or something yeah, whatever the currency yeah. is that is essentially a digital currency it's just it? tokens, you yeah. know and they can buy things in games with it it's got a tangible you know real value to it as long as people play the game well that's mm. happened for a long time in gaming it's just not really it's kind of been black market you know whether you, you was into your fifa and you bought fifa exactly. coins or whatever it is there was a real money you know value to that yeah. it just wasn't someone to facilitate it it was based on a lot of trust mm. and now the gaming industry you know i don't know if you had a play to earn so a lot a lot, yeah. lot of games now you can you can play the game and earn for playing so i think this is where the world is going in terms of this is that you had like web one where you could just browse you know, mm. web two was you know you sign up with your accounts and you put your details in and you're like basically giving up your data really then to use it now you can you're gonna soon get 
paid for your data that you use. So you, there's already sites out there that you can be paid for surfing the web. You know, if you want to use a, um, a search engine, you can get pay, paid for the for the ads that come come your way. You can you can listen to um, to music and get paid for listening. Wow. Um, it's going to revolutionise music industry. That's another thing because Spotify and all them they don't pay yeah. them next to nothing. Mm. Whereas you can build in royalties again. So, and the other thing as well is um, so I work with a lot of content creators. Okay. And so for them, they're very reliant on the platforms they use. So they're reliant on YouTube. Course, yeah. If YouTube says to them, they build a massive following on YouTube, let's say, for argument's sake, they don't have much of a following anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Let's say YouTube says, okay, we're paying this amount now. We're going to half it tomorrow. And what are you going to do? Right? Mm. You've built up this following. Mm. Now, you might, over time, be able to build that across or move people across to different platforms. But you might have this problem. This problem is going to happen all the time in terms of when it's just greed by corporates. And mm. a really good one, um, must have been maybe six months ago, is, uh, you know, OnlyFans. Yeah, so yeah. they came out and said, we're not going to have X-rated content on our, uh, on our, on our platform. Interesting. But the thing is, most of their, their the people, the consecrators there are, that yeah, is yeah. their thing. So they've yeah. gone from, some of them might be earning, God knows how much, but you know, lots of money. Yeah, yeah. And now they're under the whims of, wow, I've gone from that to nothing. Yeah. Some of them probably give up their careers for it because they're earning that much money. So they're under this, uh, so how, how can crypto help with that? Well, they can, there's something called a social coin, which is essentially your own cryptocurrency, basically. And you can control your market by providing them your own coin to pay for it. So there's no middleman then. And you can mm-hmm. use any platform you want. You could use Discord, any way to distribute your, your media. But it moves, it's all about decentralization, this whole movement, about yeah. moving from those that have got all the power, all the power and yeah, taking and 99% of the, of the money mm. and giving it to the ones who are creating it next to nothing um, versus all the this other way of doing things where actually it flips the balance of things. And it goes back to, again, that old adage of the rich get richer because ultimately that's the way the game is structured. Yeah. So they've printed all this money and it all just flows back because everybody's buying stuff off Amazon. <laughs> it just goes back to, back to yeah. Jeff Bezos and the others that kind of got all these systems in place that, uh, yeah, that's just from a commercial materialistic world that people are consumers. So that, yeah, they might get an extra, I mean, during COVID or whatever, we, we got obviously heck, extra benefits in different countries to, to keep with the living costs. But yeah, I think half people just... Did the garden up, yeah. <laughs> bought, bought a load of garden furniture, and set in the yeah. sun. And Did those chores they, that they've never yeah. been doing. And, and, and they were still getting paid anyway. So it was like, oh, great, okay. Yeah. yeah, no travel costs. I mean, again, the, I knew that it would happen, but HM Revenue and Customs are catching up on the fraudulent ones that they, they claim they, they uh, yeah. were setting up businesses or, or or having a business and then they were getting the 50 grand or whatever and then yeah, closing yeah. them down. And yeah, those people are obviously going to get caught. But that... If it was on the block, it would all be visible from yeah, the real world. They'd exactly, know exactly what money. So if you say, "I need this money to keep my business afloat, and I need it for to pay my staff, or I need it for marketing, or I need it for materials," well, hang on, why have you just bought that yacht, or why have you just bought that holiday, yeah. or whatever? And so, what's the government's view uh, on this? Actually, it's a good point. Are the government backing blockchain and crypto, or are I they think, behind um, the curve on it? Um, I think so. Rishi Sunak's come out and said they want to, we want to be um, one of the. The, the best really in the world with it. I do get a little bit skeptical with things like this because I mean, the whole idea of crypto is decentralization. Mm. We're trying to move away from the powers that be and they're kind, they're kind of bringing it, trying to bring it back in. Yeah. Um, I think that they think there's a lot of fraud that happens with it and there, there probably is. Um, especially. How though, if everything's so transparent and visible to everybody, does that not deter fraud as opposed to well, facilitate it? Yes. There are still ways to hide your identity, though. Right. Um, but I don't know enough about that side of it. But I know that there are ways you can still make it very difficult for people to, to give the information for. Okay. But it's in more of the smaller exchanges. But that doesn't mean it doesn't happen. You know? Yeah. Um, but they are aware of any big money's moving, you know, which is, I'm sure they would love. Like, for example, I'm in part of a, a Discord group. Because in crypto, Discord's like a, mm. a big thing because it's, it's really well integrated. Um, and there's a, in one of the trading ones I'm in, there's a channel that basically if a big money gets moved, you, there's a notification. So you'll say like $40 million worth of Bitcoin has been transferred from one wallet to another or you know from one exchange to another. Like It's obviously automated through, mm. um, through programs, but it's, the, it's there for them to, to look at, isn't it? I mean, one of the good things, it, it, it reduces transaction fees from um, transferring a large amount of monies. Mm. You know, 
if you're transferring a lot of money overseas, then you know it can be really expensive. Yeah, but relatively small cost. Yeah, so in, it, in it seems to remove remove the middleman a lot yeah. of time from this. So I guess my question is if the it removes the banks from the equation and the banks obviously very powerful in terms of lobbying the government, etc. Is that yeah? Is that a potential blockage for this? So. Yeah, it could be. I mean, imagine if everybody held their money in. And I, me as a business, I, not long back, I had a meeting with the with the guys and said, you know, we've got, you know, cash cash in our business bank. Mm. Do we hold it all in pounds sterling, or do we hold it in Bitcoin? Mm. Or, Elon was it Tesla that, that bought a load of Bitcoin? Yeah, loads of, yeah, he bought loads of Bitcoin. Yeah, balance sheet. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, we had this chat in the between the team, and, and we thankfully said not at the time because um, mm. you know the arguments from the team was it's quite volatile. I think we should do it. Um, I was very much like I think long term, it, it, I think it'll rise. So mm. I think we should maybe hold some in it. But democrat democracy isn't it? So we, we did it. Yeah. So, Listen to the team. Yeah, and good because it could have cost me quite a bit of money. Yeah, really. good. Um, but, but yeah, the, 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 I'll go on to Discord actually because that's quite an interesting point with yeah. um, how it fits in. So we've got there's a couple of training companies that are, I uh, I'll speak. I was going to interplant actually. So there's um, a training company. He has memberships, so he gives out lots of like business uh, seminars and, and stuff like that. And uh, he created his own coin, and he he said basically if you um, if you if you sign up to um, our newsletter, I'll give you like five pounds, uh, five five pounds worth this 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 coin. And what he did, he started to um, say that okay, and if you get somebody else signed up to my newsletter, you get a, a referral fee for that. So it builds up his net, his network basically, and then you can exchange the coin for his services. And then so now he sells his, uh, his training programs based on his coin. So awesome. which is really so I I when I was looking at this, I was look so we, I set up a, a separate company that was just for crypto tax. So called kryptonite tax so like, <laughs> like superman good name yeah so i was um and i was speaking to my business mentor i said right i think i'm only going to accept cryptocurrency for payment mm. because that would really demonstrate that we know what we're talking about we've got our own currency going on and that's how you pay for it and then i was starting to extrapolate the idea out and and i was thinking okay so if you uh you know you're giving these incentives to create your, your market your, your marketing basically build your lists um build out your reach and it's the thing is, when you give someone a coin like that, then they're now incentivized not just to get them involved because they're going to get yeah, the extra referral, but now their coin price rises as well. So they're like really bought into this. And oh, that's the idea anyway. And then what happens is, if they're exchanging that for your services, in terms of real life effect, I could have gone, and I had this conversation with the team, we might go, as I was saying, from being an accountant who does, who does the compliance, limited company accounts, corporation tax returns, all this stuff. But if our clients were using the coin for consultation services instead they did that would be them telling them telling us that actually they don't really value their accounts they prefer the consultant stuff and we might actually change our entire business because that's what the customer is telling me mm. that they would rather have so it might be we're not even an accountant anymore in years mm. time. i was saying that this would have the facility to change that and i'm not saying that's a good or a bad thing but it means that the, my client would be telling me what part what bits of our services that we offer they value the most because through supply and demand they would choose the price as well from the coin mm -hmm. so it could be could go one way or the other obviously you set a, you'd set a benchmark wouldn't you but like a minimum obviously make sure you cover your cost but on, on the other scale of things the price rises if they're getting it from referrals the coin it might be that your your usual hourly charge out rate might be loads more because mm. they're paying in the coin that's that's appreciated. So this was what was going through my head when I was speaking to my business mentor. And she eventually tried. She she did convince me not to go down that route. Eventually. She said <laughs> I would uh, you know maybe alienate a lot of my potential clients who wouldn't want to do that, and maybe that would put a singer in it. But and I also thought nobody's doing that, and maybe so I should, yeah, yeah, maybe I should do it niche. anyway. But I'll maybe revisit it. But I thought it was a really interesting yeah, idea because yeah. really, yeah, for me, it's it's like nectar points or reward points that we've yeah. had for years like mm. people give little vouchers or coupons or whatever the, and again it's a monetary value that's I, I mean i remember when i first set up my business doing personal training i came up with an offer and i just put a monetary value on it i was like oh i'm gonna do i'll give you four sessions and it's worth i don't know 500 quid yeah and it was just a notional figure but because because you put the figure on it, it's like, oh, yeah, it's why 500 quid. And, yeah. blah, blah. and as long as you deliver the value, because again, whenever you're shifting goods or service, if you think about money, ultimately money, instead of the old years gone by before the monetary system, it was just, yeah, I'll exchange that 
cow for this pig and all this type of stuff. It's just easier to carry it around. But the the vouchers side of things, it's an interesting play on it because yeah, the the actual coin could appreciate in value. Yeah. But then also, yeah, you've got that the whole loyalty scheme. You think about air miles and all that type of stuff. Yeah. They've, they've got certain airlines have got that many members with that amount of acquired air miles. Ultimately, they've got a duty to. If they cash them in, oh yeah, I want to fly from there to there. Yeah. That's got a physical cost. They've got to fuel the plane, but he's just paid it in air miles. He's not actually yeah. giving you any pounds or pence. But if mm, you link like... it to a coin that can appreciate a separate to that, because I think they do actually have value, but it's again, those air miles, it's it's up to someone to, I don't know, come in and survey it and say, actually, I'll give you X amount. I think it is yeah. backed by, whether it be insurance or whether it be um, banks or whatever. Yeah. But Because um, ultimately you're trying to understand your customer base you're trying to get like you say offer them different different services but i do like the the content creators like gary Vee, for example he's doing yeah. his vcon or whatever and he has different levels of again tickets to an event but if you have some unique experiences linked to that nft yeah and that nft is then worth something it could become a collector's item later on or that type of stuff it so goes off in different fascinating. directions Fascinating industry. I, I just, I'd like to just understand a bit more about your business actually and your background because you're clearly very innovative and entrepreneurial, and you've you know young guy that's built a successful business. So, I guess any lessons learned from you over the last five years of taking a startup and going through that kind of scaling process? So, I, yeah. So, I mean, I've I've been through the lessons that I think every businessman goes through. I think. Um, I think you you kind of got to take each day it comes. Uh, you're faced with lots of different problems. You wear every hat to start mm. with. So, you know, when you first set up on your own, it's you to get the, the business through the door. It's you to do the work. It, it's you to, you know, do your marketing, make sure your admin's right. You know, you've got to do all these things and you never had to do it before. You know, before I'd go in and, you know, you know, before I was like going into a few meetings, doing a few accounts, but that's just like one small mm. aspect of it. And then, so you come in, you have to learn all these new things, all the intricacies as well. Like, you know, you, you have to get your website built and you're like, oh, what, it needs to be hosted. What does that even mean? What do you mean I've got to host it? <laughs> like, why is it not just put up there? Fair you know, fair, it's yeah. just little things like it's the intricacies of it, you know, SEO. And like, what do you mean? What, you've got to have backlinks. What, what's that? Why does that make a difference? Mm. You end up learning all this stuff that was always done by a, a department before in a big company. And you never knew what was going on. And now you've got to kind of try and, learn all this stuff, but then you understand you only have so much time and you've got to then structure your time. So in the early days, it was like, you need to basically put the time in the right things. Now it's, we've got staff. That's a whole new, that's, I always think that like, so the, those are the first sort of problems you have as a business. Then when you get bigger and you have staff, now you've got a different set of problems because one of the hardest things you've got to get over is they, they won't care about your business as much as you do mm -hmm. and nor should they. Yeah. Um, they have different wants to what you want. Like if I want to grow a business, that's great. They want to get home to see the kids at five o'clock. Mm. And you've got to make sure that you come to a, a working arrangement that works for everybody that gets the best out of them. And I think that can be really difficult because mm. you know, like everyone's got different things. And so sometimes it can be hard to empathize or not, not hard to empathize, but hard to understand exactly what they want. And sometimes they don't even know what they want. That's another mm. thing, uh, you know, so you might offer them uh, flexible working, but maybe they just like the routine of nine to five, and now yeah. you've given this decision to make every day where they can come in whenever they want and they don't like it. You know, yeah, it's, you don't that, know. Yeah. And some people want to work from home, they realize some people like to wear a uniform and go to work in the routines. Yeah. And, and I remember yeah, a previous so. job we did a survey saying, Do you want to wear a formal uniform or do you want to wear jeans and t shirt? And ex fully expecting everybody to come back and say jeans and t shirt. And it's been like 60% came back and said, I want a stipulated uniform. Yeah, I mean, I, I got rid of it as uh, yeah. I used to come in a shirt and tie every day, and I thought, why am I doing this? Like, no, nobody, no, not one of my clients has, would would think less of me yeah. for not wearing it. And it's twenty twenty two, and I thought, yeah, what, why? Would, why would I'm intrigued on the because again, I, I a bit like you, I see companies are all different shapes and sizes. So for some of the smaller ones, for me, what's important because I'm looking at their processes because again, systems processes and then I'm looking at trying to automate them processes. Some yeah. companies don't have the, the processes mapped out properly. Yeah. Uh, did you do that as a conscious thing? Was you was you thinking, right, okay, I'm going to be technology first. I want to be lean and mean and sort of put these as, mm. as much automation in, in place. What was your mindset around that? 
yeah, no, I'd love to say I was, but mm. I won't. Mean, <laughs> just jumped in and went, ah. Jumped in, yeah. thought, I can do accounts, that's fine. I've been doing it ages. Do you want your books doing? And I would, I've learned a lot of little lessons, really. Like, for example, if someone comes to me, however they did it before, I would just follow the suit on how they were doing it before, you know, in terms of how they're giving me the stuff. Whereas now I'm much more like, you know, I want your bank statements. I want all your invoices put into text. Um, and I don't care if you do it or I do it, but, mm. you know, it, they go into, go into decks. So I am more streamlined now. When you go from being one-man band to, you know, some staff, mm. that's when it starts to be, that's yeah. the problem then, because yeah. now you need process, because otherwise... Standard operating procedures. It, yeah. yeah, exactly, because, one, you need to maintain quality, you need to make sure nothing's missed. You can't be on track of everything all the time anymore because there's too many people. So we're going through a process now, really, where... We've got most of our procedures in place, but we are fine tuning a lot. And um, so our new hire starts uh, next month. A lot of her works with project based around processes and all the processes really, we've mapped out what the client experiences from when they first call me to when their accounts go out the door, mm. everything in between, we've mapped that out and we're just gonna go from left to right on that map. Mm. And we're, gonna, we're trying to find basically something to wow the client with at every every stage yeah, so yeah, whether it's the proposal yeah. whether it's um when they first sign up maybe we give a little welcome gift or you know we're, we're, we've mapped out lots of ideas then we need to cost it and then we need to say right okay is it feasible which one's gonna be do would be appreciated which ones wouldn't be mm. and we'll we're gonna work on that with uh new member staff but that's a process we're going through and like I say that's what i'm still learning it sounds like it's that continuous improvement type thing. You, you, you're circling back and saying, how can I improve? How can I tweak it? Because I find some businesses, they might have been in business for 40 years, hmm. but they've done the same turnover for 40 years. They haven't grown. They've still got 10 staff. And it's like, yeah, okay. And then, and then it, for me, I'm thinking, well, have you just been doing the same thing over and over? How, how have you you've not obviously pivoted? There's, there's yeah. been certain industries, like I say, that I think they've, they've ridden a look to a point where they've just stayed as they are and it's that yeah if it's not broke don't fix it attitude whereas some of the people i'm dealing with now they've got a bit more of that entrepreneurial sort of spirit thinking well actually now i want to grow my business i don't yeah. want to just stand still because we all know if you stand still inflation's gonna you yeah. give what one million turnover 20 years ago it's completely different yeah. to what it would be now so it's you're, yeah. you're clearly optimizing your business yeah. and you, it's interesting we often see clients who don't have any process and then we get some processing, we get some structure in and then the third phase, how do you actually optimize that? How do you turn the dial up? And it feels like you're already in that kind of third phase. I think I'm, I'm in, I think I'm in the middle of in all nailed down yet. Yeah. So we're, we're going through that process and, and really the, the reason behind it is to free me up because right now I'm involved in a lot of the day to day mm. and that's not really my forte, you know, um, I'll, I'll be better at bringing in the new business and working on all the, the, the strategy where I see the business mm, going. I yeah, want to work working on Working on new business. Yeah, working on, yeah exactly. Yeah. Working on my business. That's where I want to go. Mm. And ultimately, in the long run, I will never exit my business mm. unless this gets sorted, unless it gets standardized yes. and someone can come in, which also increases the value of my business as well. Mm. Because if someone wanted to buy my business, I think I'd be in a better position than most firms. But the more structured, standardized, you get yep. the more value you've got in your business because mm. someone can pick it up and they don't even need to. They wouldn't, they wouldn't even need to be an accountant. Just keep running it. They could just have mm. it. Cash yeah, that's a great point. Really good point. Yeah. That, I'm gonna that is something I don't. I don't stress enough. I think, like you say, the value of actually getting people's information out their head into a mm. process, and then what we do is then try and automate the mundane bits around the edges. Um, and yeah, the valuation piece because again, we know from our business looking to acquire other businesses, like you say, how do you value it if it's yeah. and especially if you have one person that's that's um either going to retire soon or mm. they've moved countries or circumstances change well hang on what critical IP's cog. in their head yeah, yeah. Like, wow well. i'm gonna ask you one more question um which the the podcast is tomorrow's workplace today so a, a specific to your industry actually accountancy which is probably known as quite a bit of an old-fashioned industry in some areas yeah. and you break the mold but cast your mind forward 10 years how is the accountancy world different or the finance world different to what it is today, do you think? So I tell you, I, I think that there won't be very many businesses who aren't operating without real-time information. I feel like they will know their accounts 
there and then mm. always, which should help them make better decisions. I think that their time spent on admin will be greatly reduced. I think that by time we, because you, you can have, I'll tell you why I think that'll be completely going. Where you've got bookkeeping, you can have all your letters going to invoices sent to one email address. You can, or a physical address if it's physical, that can be automatically emailed to an email address which forwards to a, an app that extracts the data. And that means, and then it can be automatically posted using rules mm. and posted straight into bookkeeping information. So but without you touching any invoice, you've already got all your invoices come in your, in your software, everything extracted, and you will still need someone to oversee it a little bit because for error, you know, while it's, you know, learning it, but that should be very minimal. Where it might take you a team of 10 these days for a big company, I can't see why it wouldn't take you just the one person and they would also, that would just be one area of their remit. So that'd be one thing. Then you touched on it with the invoices come in, the due date will be on the invoice. That could automatically trigger when the payment date goes, mm. you know, which again, we just need one person to review the payment dates. So all this can straight away be automated. Uh, the banks should be automatically wrecked with rules in place. You know, you see this from this, basically it's essentially like a look, uh, a V lookup really. You'd have, you know, you see this line on your bank statement, you post it to this part of the accounts and this, this one would be, this is the VAT code and it goes. So most of your data should be in mm. without you doing a great deal. You're just someone checking. And then I think as an, as an accountant, your role will be that business partner role. Yeah, I was going to say. Going through the, the, going through the journey with the client and saying yeah. little things. Like when you first set up and someone, and I were guilty of this when I first set up, you know, Brad at Adaptive Accountancy, give that to everyone. That's great. Now everyone emails me. <laughs> and that's an issue. Yeah. You know, got 300 clients. Yeah. 300 people can email at any time. My email box can go nuts some days. If you give them info, adapt accounts straight away. It's not that I'm not trying to be personal. It's that I can't, you know, it's going to, it's going to cause me to have a bottleneck. Mm. So now, you know, someone helps me with my emails. I don't have to reply to them all because a lot of them won't need my input. Now I don't, don't need to distract me. Um, so those little things, you go on the journey with the client on, on what, what they can do to be better. And um, you become more of a business advisor than an accountant. Yeah, you're more really a consultant, Mark, but just based on numbers. Yeah. And I think that, so like one of my clients, for example, is he does LinkedIn coaching. And, you know, when he came to me, he said, uh, my, I said, how good are you at closing? Like, what's, what's your percentage rate? He said, uh, he said, oh, it's really good. I said, right, what numbers? What numbers you got? So I think it would be coming out of the finances, because what I did was said to him, what we're going to do, we're going to go see how many connections you make a day. How many of those turn into calls? Mm. How many calls turn into a client? And then we'll know. Then we go, how, how much does your client, each client worth to you? What's the average order yeah. value, yeah. What's, then, your, what's your target? So, yeah, you know, yeah. if it's, you know, for him, it was a quarter of a million a year. Okay, how many connections do you need to make then? And that's your KPI, not, mm. not your financials. I think mm. your financials should never be your KPI. So I don't really like, you know, turnover KPIs. I like ones that um, are behaviors that, that bring that uh, whole, uh, journey into perspective. Like if I do this small thing every day, you know, yeah. it's like the Kaizen really, isn't it? You know, yeah. you do this small habit every day religiously, then these are the impacts, but we need to monitor it first. And then we can tweak where's getting let down. Because, you know, for example, he gets a lot of, let's say he gets lots of uh, meetings, but they don't turn into sales, something wrong with his sales pitch, or mm. maybe his price too high, or what we can, we know where the questions need to be asked. Mm. Like if he's not, not if he, if he connects with them on LinkedIn and they accept the meeting, then he's nailed that bit. We don't need to be tweaking around it. Mm. So I think the accountants will be having these sort of conversations. Like, I did see, I went to um, a big convention down in Coventry and there were, there were people like yourself pitching themselves more of a like a virtual FD type role as opposed yeah. to a bookkeeper and an account. Because you're right, there's technology out there that can do that bit. Yeah. So it's like, where can I add value? Well, actually, I can look at your business. I can look at your numbers and say, actually, have you thought about this? And yeah. what's your three to five year to 10 year plan? And okay, are you going to open another office or another branch? And how do we allocate this money? Are we going to get more heads or could we invest in technology to make it more streamlined? And I think you're right. That's where business owners, because they're in the business, it's that if they have a meeting with you, they know they're going to be talking about on the business as opposed yeah. to, shit, I need to speak to that customer and I need to ring that supplier and I need to bollock that staff member or whatever is they're in the job versus actually you you having that meeting once a quarter pulling them out maybe 
just gives them that breathing room to think a little bit more strategically about how to reposition the money. Because if it's going well, then they're thinking, right, well, how, what do I do with this money? And then yeah, it's yeah. a case of how do I structure it and things like that, yeah. And what's the most tax efficient way, which is yeah, probably yeah. what the biggest mm. thing that they ask. I would me. say though, you know, tax efficient way. I mean, I think if you give one accountant a set of books and another accountant a set of books, we should come back to the same numbers. We got we operate within the same rules. Mm, yeah. So, uh, from my experience, and this is what I've been drilling into to guys working with me, that there'll be there's always been more technical accountants than I am. Right? There's people who the legislation is eleven thousand pages long, mm. right? And I don't mm. know it back to front, but I know there's some people out there. Who love it, right? Mm. And they'll know it way better than me. So I have them on. I have them on retainer because I aren't doing that. You know, it's <laughs> yeah. not fun. Yeah, I don't enjoy course. it. But if they're that way inclined, brilliant. I'll give you a call when I need something. So we're a bit like a generalist. We know a bit of everything, but we're not. So you know, like a GP, yeah. dodgy with stomach. Yeah. I'll send you to specialist. Yeah. And that's what I'll do. Now, so for me, what's more important is the customer service, the personal touch, because no one's personal anymore, are they? Mm. I mean, the amount of times I have to tell tell guys. Pick up the phone, just yeah. ring them, yeah, yeah. ring them. You'll get an answer if you ring them. Yeah. And also they will like you more because you're calling them and everyone's just scrolling phones all the time, aren't they? So yeah. for me, it's about customer service, about having that chat like I'm your mate, like I'm going through a journey with you, just offering bits of advice or things that I think you just need to be wary of. And then and going through that journey with them, I think that my feedback from clients has been that that is more important to them than how technical my knowledge is. Because if they've got a technical question, I'll be like, well, I think it's this. But before I say, oh, I'm going to come back to you once I've speaking, spoken to somebody. And they don't think, they are sat there going, oh, I thought it was an accountant. Yeah. Why well, don't know it? Yeah, you don't know, know that messy manual. Yeah, don't, going don't, on? don't know that. So I go back and I come back to them. And all they care about is that I care enough to go and find the answer for them. Yeah. So they more Google important. knows. Yeah, Google. Well, if you Google some of the complex stuff there, it's not really that easy to understand. Um, and also the HMRC guidance doesn't often give you the most tax-efficient route. They just tell yeah, you what they're... And also the, tax, the HMRC guidance is, is their take on the law. It's actually not the law itself. So often that's wrong. Um, you only really know from, from case law, but that's that's another by the by. But I think the, yeah, the key to it is being just really good with them personally is way more important. And I think that's why we've got so many good reviews on online. And stuff. And I think that that's that's the whole point. I try and get that across with my. If you can put some technology in place that's going to stop you wasting time doing all this mundane stuff, it frees you to be yeah. a human to talk to another human. Mm. More fun and as add, well. And add, yeah, mm. add more <laughs> yeah. value to them. Have a, yeah, like you say, more fun, better conversation. It's actually freeing. And and again, you've done it, so it's uh, it's great. Brilliant. But thank yeah. you. For your time. Thank you very much for your time, Brad. It's been that's an right, absolute man. pleasure. Thank you. Well, Tom, thank you.